Now, A-A-Ron, where are you? Where is A-A-Ron right now? No A-A-Ron, huh? Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute, A-A-Ron. Here. Oh, man. Why didn't you answer me the first time I said it, huh? Huh? I'm just, you know, I'm just asking, you know, I said it like four times, so why didn't you say it the first time I said A-A-Ron? Because it's pronounced Aaron? Son of a <laughs> You done messed up, A-A-Ron! As far back as educated men have recorded their history, veils have been lowered to disclose a vast new reality, rents in the fabric of man's awareness. And somewhere in the endless search of the curious mind lies the next vision, the next key to his infinite capacity. Hey everybody, what's up? Yes, I know I said I wasn't going to record a show this week, but all of my plans for whatever reasons fell through, and as I say in this episode, whenever I have free time, I hate for it to go to waste. Also, no, Lobo is not here tonight, A, because I wasn't supposed to record a show, B, because Lobo is off doing, you know, dad stuff with his kids, he's got some stuff he's working on at home right now, working on his house, the saying goes, life happens, well, for Lobo, life is happening, and as also we stated before, Lobo is not leaving the show, he has not been kicked off of the show, there's no strange, weird stuff going on behind the scenes, he's just busy, and I said, you know what, do what you gotta do, it'll be here when you have the time to come back, or when you're able to record something, you know where home is. Now, having said all of that, this show came together because Aaron David of the Charm the Water podcast has this little book that came out that is about summoning a black black cat magical familiar for a purpose of, of gambling or something like that. We talk about it in the show. We'll get back to it. And he had said, hey, can you talk about this on your show? Because I'm trying to make a few bucks and trying to help our Patreon and, you know, put some stuff into our show. And I said, well, I'll do you one better. At some point, we'll just have you on there to actually talk about it. And uh, I got a hold of him right before we hit record. And uh, I said, are you free tonight? And he said, yeah. So we put together this impromptu show. Anytime that I do a show specifically on the subject of magic, I try to keep it dumbed down. So if there's people out there that are interested in getting into this subject or getting into this or doing this kind of thing, it can be overwhelming if you don't know what's up. And I try to keep it at a level where people can listen to it and go, okay, I think I can understand this or what have you. Having said that, this is where I drop my disclaimer. I am not a practitioner of magic. I do not use it in my daily life whatsoever. And by no means am I an expert historian on the subject. I do know a thing or two because I have all these books here and I've been studying it for a while. Again, I like it for the history of it and I find it fascinating for those reasons, but I, uh, I'm sure that I say things in this episode where I get them wrong. I don't know exactly what I've said I've gotten wrong, but I know that we do have people that listen to the show that are magic practitioners. So if I get something wrong, cut me some slack. <laughs> Anyways, um, if the show is not something that you're interested in, as always, just turn it off and come back next week when we'll probably have something completely different in a different direction. Um, having said that, um, wait, you know, just listen to it because we go all over the map in this episode. We talk about me brewing. You know, I, I brew wine, 
mead and beer sometimes. And lately that's been going on a lot behind the scenes. So we bring that up. We talk about the history of witchcraft is where I go to a lot. We talk about different magical traditions, how these things intersect with religion. We talk about how Aaron got in, went from being a evangelist Christian into a magical practitioner, how he uses it for picking and buying stocks. Um, we go all over the place in this show, and as normal, I am somewhat of a jackass. So again, cut me some slack. Having said all of that, this episode is a little bit longer than normal. This uh, interview, I usually try to keep them around an hour, but when me and Aaron get together and we start babbling, we babble and we go all over the place. So I just let the tape keep running until we kind of exhausted ourselves. Give it a listen. Hopefully you'll find something interesting here, and I will see you guys at the other side. Gozer the Traveler, he will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Valdrani, the Traveler came as a large and moving torb. Then, during the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new form for him, that of a giant slore. Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. All right, so we have longtime friend of the show, Aaron David, returning tonight to talk about witchcraft familiars and magic along those. That's the best way I guess we can put it is uh, familiars and black cats and things like that. It's been a while since you've been here, though. So uh, how you been, man? It's It's been a long time since we've had you on here to talk to you. Too long. Yeah. Hey, Rogan. Uh, doing good and uh, appreciate you having me on. Uh, kind of Kelly and I stay put doing our own thing and uh, keep them busy. Kelly's just got a new job. So uh, we're living life, and uh, I'm happy to be able to take uh, some time to do a little bit of socializing through podcasts, my people. So let's, for people who aren't familiar with you, um, I've been on your show, I think, twice, I believe. it's. Tw- I know it's been on there at least mm-hmm. one time because I went on for a Halloween show. Yeah, last uh, Halloween. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I think we... Yeah, we did one before. It may have been about Devil Monkey, I think. I'm, yeah, that's right. You guys came on the show. You were part of the Tell Me the St- Tell Me a Story show. Now you are a practitioner of magic. Let's put that out there. You uh, practice many different schools and forms of magic. You and your fiance have a pod- pod- yeah, podcast called Charm the Water, uh, where you do go into magical theory and various other things. Um, and then you put together this little book about black cat familiars. It's like it's like, you know, baby's first golden book on magic <laughs> for the most yeah. part. Um, uh, and I said, hey, let's let's come on, you know, have you come on the show and let's talk about what a familiar is, the history of familiars. Um, why why black cats? Black cats seem to come up a lot in hoodoo magic and, and mm-hmm. traditional folklore. So um, where do we start here? Let's let's talk about let's talk about what a familiar is. Yeah. Uh, well, the black cat is uh the in the west the icon for the familiar the witch is familiar so what i want to do is what iamblichus in his day and age uh he was a pagan and uh a theurgist and was kind of uh combating christianity to preserve some of the theurgical practices i want to do that today uh for magic and uh one way to do that is reclaiming the black cat as a symbol for magic and for the familiar. So that's why I uh, named it this. As to uh, the history of the familiar, uh, it's everywhere you look. Uh, From shamanism, one of the first tasks of a shaman is to get ally spirits. 
in other words, a familiar. A familiar is a helping spirit. Uh, we can go back to ancient Israel and to King Saul, and he decreed that all people with familiar spirits be banished. But then he got in some stuff and decided that he needed a necromancer, a person with a familiar spirit. And so he seeks out the witch of Endor and uh, actually gets her to call up the spirit of the old prophet Samuel. So I'm trying not to laugh at Ewoks, but go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I go into a little bit about that and uh, the familiar, how it was understood in hermeticism and uh, theurgy, especially, which is where I want to take this back to. Um, and especially hermeticism, the idea of you, how to get a familiar is to go to spirits up the totem pole, so to speak, and ask them for a familiar. And this is somebody, this is something that will help you on. It's sort of the first step of the magician or the witch or, uh, the shaman. Get yourself a ally, a spirit that can help you in your well, learning about uh, the other side. What is a familiar? Like if I do the hocus pocus, does this mean a, a black cat or like in Harry Potter, an owl? Or um, mm -hmm. I remember in Dungeons and Dragons, I think it was level nine, the original advanced Dungeons and Dragons, you could get a familiar pet. And I remember if it died, it, it screwed your shit up really bad as a player character. But yeah. uh, you had different animals that are like spirit animals that you could get that would help you cast spells and so forth. So what is what is the like if I do a spell, does that mean a black cat's going to show up at my doorstep? Well, this is getting into my own experiential hypotheses. Go for it. Uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not one for like, uh, like you say, Golden Dawn or Thelemic or Wiccan, or I'm not much one to subscribe to an institutional uh, system of magic. I'm kind of on my own, doing my own thing and learning from my own experience. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I have come to believe, uh, first of all, if you look at stories of how spirits communicate with humanity. And many times it's in animal form. Uh, one of my first experiences was with a black headed goat that removed its face and uh, gave me a paradox. They are all liars. And I didn't know what to make of that at the time. But the more I researched into this and learned that many times spirits clothe themselves in that of the beast. Uh, the animal skin. And I think my hypothesis is because that provides them a link to the material world, to uh, the living um, spirit of the world, the animus mundi. Uh, that's their link in. And I think that's how ancestors, if you ask the shaman in a lot of cultures, what are these spiritual entities? If you ask the people who drink ayahuasca, what are they interacting with? They will say the ancestors. So I've come to believe that the familiar spirit, even though it may appear in animal form, it is very much a human intelligence. Well, you hear that in Native American culture all the time. That's that's a staple of Native American culture, that the spirits would come through in the shape of animals, mm -hmm. wolves, uh, hawks, eagles, you know, whatever. That's... You know, that that would your spirit animal would be what would come to you and lead you. Like, I wish Lobo were here for this because Lobo could, could uh, uh, add to this. Yeah, but this, um, this again, this is sort of my hypothesis uh, that I've come through 
to my own through my own experience that is so because the animals uh, are correspond to uh, and in modern magic we know this is a doctrine of signatures but if you go back to theurgy it's uh, called sumthamata and those ant- different animals are symbols for different levels of consciousness. For example, with the sign of Scorpio, you have the snake, the phoenix, and the eagle. And those are all representative of Scorpio, but Scorpio at different levels of consciousness. So for the, me, the goat, I'm a triple Capricorn. And I didn't know what was going on at the time, but as I grew more in magic and more in understanding of Capricorn, uh, path 26, Ayin, the devil. Yeah, you're losing It made me. sense. <laughs> path 26? It, 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 it made sense for that to be sort of... Is there a path a 42, which is the answer for everything? I'm sorry. But, I'll shut there my is. mouth. It's a, on, in Hermeticism, it's uh, the tree of life. But for me, that made sense to use a sort of new agey term, my spirit animal. Mm-hmm. It would make sense for the goat to be my... Uh, familiar or Agathos Damon or uh, animal guide, spirit guide. Okay. Uh, if you want to put it in those terms. Holy guardian angel, if you want to put it in those terms. Higher self, uh, personal genius, supernatural assistant. These are all terms uh, that kind of are talking about the same thing. I, well, you also hear about it. I believe you hear about it in, in club. Like you've got. In magic, if you had a familiar, it was always looked at as your familiar was a demon spirit. Right. But I believe with clever people, like clever uh, clever women, clever men, um, powwow magicians, people of those lines, when they had a spirit animal, I believe that the uh, their spirit animal was believed to be some form of divine animal. Am I correct in that assumption? Or you are correct lines? on both. Um, in my book, Black Hat Gambling Familiar, now the subtitle, that's a little bit of a deceptive title. The true title is the subtitle, Theurgical Procedure for Acquiring a Mercurial Familiar. What That's I argue, an easy title to remember. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I argue is that these are, in fact, demons uh, we are dealing with. They are demons. Everything is demonic. Uh, you know, I know our mutual friend constantly talks about the book, the demon. I think it's called The Demonic Reality or something like that. Would that be Soraya? Yeah, um, <laughs> I forget the book title, but if you go back to theurgic, uh, when theurgy was being practiced, which is where a lot of our magical practices come from, go back to Iamblichus, um, and the Greek term daemon, it didn't have any negative connotations. There was a term for a uh, sort of negative daemon uh I, if I'm pronouncing it right, cocoa demon, cacao, cocoa demon. Cacao, uh, cacao. Sorry. It's, it's, it's in there in that Enochian stuff you mentioned earlier. Okay, yeah. But the point is the Greeks, just this uh, sort of umbrella term, it could mean the dead. It could mean something. Uh, it could mean a god. It could mean a familiar spirit. It was sort of an umbrella term. Was it was a catch-all. Yeah. Okay. And so we get the term demon that's it the old world is talking about demons they had that was their word for this stuff mm-hmm. and then we come to the new testament and the word demon is demonized into what we all know it as now so that's part of my reclaiming not only the black cat as a symbol for the familiar spirit but also reclaiming the word demon as something that is 
very much ours, as in practicing magic and practicing theurgy. These are the entities that we are uh, in contact with, the daemons. And the the purpose of the daemon to the theurgist, to the to the old guys, the daemon, the personal daemon, the familiar, was to guide you in life and prepare you for union with your agathos daemon or good demon or as in magical circles we call it now the holy guardian angel or new age circles the higher self or Jungian terms no go ahead uh, I'm looking in a I've got a copy of a book here that makes reference to um, different I don't have the cover on it anymore that's the problem it's how old this thing is it makes references to biblical terms in regards to daemons and familiars I actually have a bookmark mm -hmm. on it and it says uh yeah, here it is, familiar, because it's a Latin word. The, the word familiar comes from the Latin word of uh, familiar, familiarius, which means household servant. Or, mm -hmm. Okay, so we're, we're on the same page then. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, we can, the uh, familiar spirit in Roman times was called the Laris. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of, you think of it, it, you can hear it pronounced Laris, which is sort of ridiculous. But if you think of the god Ares uh, and the Ram. L, Laris. Now, those were the household daemons mm -hmm. uh, in charge of the household. Now, the more personalized daemons, uh, the supernatural assistant, as it's called in the Greek magical papyri, were something more uh, individualized. But the lares were uh, sort of household. They would protect uh, your family and be in charge of the wealth and kind of, kind of uh, overseers and protectors. This is what it's, uh, it's Leviticus twenty twenty seven, A man also or a woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Well, that's the term stoning, duh. And their blood shall be upon them. So and it makes even, dire warning to people who use familiars. Even it's, in the light of that, King Saul uh, chose, even after he decreed that all people with familiar spirits be exiled and that they would be stoned and killed if found out. Mm -hmm. When Saul got in trouble, look at what he turned to, necromancy and the person with a familiar spirit. So to me, that is a great testament to the legitimacy of necromancy. When you're in deep shit, hey, I'm going to go to uh, this uh, person with a familiar spirit. So mm -hmm. up on penalty of death, that's what he chose to do. So from what I'm getting from all of what we're talking about right now is the fact that you have a familiar does not necessarily mean that you have a flesh and blood black cat or used black cat because that's what we're talking about in your book, that you don't necessarily have a flesh and blood black cat running around your house that is spiritually and physically bonded to you for the most right. part. You're talking about all of this stuff in a consciousness spiritual sense then for the most part then, correct? Well, um, what I do... Or are we and, going off what Mary Margaret, or Margaret, I'm sorry, Margaret, Margaret Murray, I believe that's what her name was. Well, do you know who Margaret Murray was, by chance? I, I don't. Okay, she was, she wrote a book in 1921, which had a lot to do with uh, witch cults in Western Europe. And she did a lot of stuff talking about witches' familiars and stuff, but a lot of it had to do with the Scottish witch trials in the 16th and 17th century. Um 
which is a Balfour, North Berwick, all of those. Mm-hmm. So she was going through and basically using all of these old texts that were used to persecute witches and different um, bits of history and things like that was what she put together. And I believe it's where the whole concept of where it was believed to be a physical creature that you actually summoned for the most part to to be your familiar. You know, so you had you would summon this cat and most people you know, this was it was one of those things where it was like that woman's a witch. Well, how do you know she's a witch? Well, she's always got that cat. That black cat right. is her familiar, and that cat is what follows around and spies on her. But that's actually a demon spirit in there. So, and if we kill that cat, that cat is tied to her. It will also hurt her or something like that. If they had some kind of a pet, as many of these people did, or a dog or something like that. Um, there's also legends that have to do with uh, black dogs. Black dog leg- legends also tie into this as well, from what I understand. Um, yeah, you should look it up, Ma- Margaret Murray. Um, yeah. Uh, but, my- they, you know, they, they were believed to have traditional spirits. A lot of these were cats, ferrets, um, bats, snakes, um, you know, whatever, you know, whatever. The creepier, the better, you know. Well, I, she, she's a witch. She turned me into a newt and she had a bat, you know, <laughs> something like that, you know. But anyways, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm, to- I'm totally derailing you here. <laughs> no, uh, not at all. I talk about that a little bit uh, about in the book. But my main perspective goes back to uh, the theurgy that emerged in Alexandria, uh, which was a mixture of sort of Judaism and paganism, Hellenism and Christianity. And there was a aspect of theurgy and it's still practiced in mainstream magic. Today, I think although their origins have been sort of forgotten as it, it being something theurgists do, it's called insulting statues. And so that's that's the objective in in my book is to insult a black cat uh, figurine with a mercurial familiar. Uh, the mercurial part is something else. Uh, the magician works in the sphere of mercury. Uh, that's kind of a little maybe uh yeah, you get a little there. deep here. <laughs> but uh, there's, as an example of how important the insulting of, of statues was early on in uh, theurgical practice, there's a tale of uh, Hecate, uh, which is a goddess I'm sure lots yep. of people have heard of. It was common for Hecate and Hermes uh, to be in, in household shrines. But this happened in uh, Hecate's main temple. Uh, Maximus of Ephesus was a uh, uh, student of Iamblichus's, and he took Julian the philosopher to the temple of Hecate. And Julius would later become the emperor of Rome and be known as Julian, I think it was the apostate, uh, who did not accept Christianity, Julian the pagan emperor. In his young years, uh, Maximus took him to this temple of Hecate, and he was witness to Maximus performing this theurgic rite to ensoul the statue of Hecate. And what Julian says happened is Hecate's statuary began to smile and then eventually began to laugh. And uh, at that point, the, the torches were lit, and so it was this... In theurgy, the concept of calling the daemon down uh, from the celestial realm, or as the Bible calls them, principalities and powers of the air, calling the daemon down to inhabit the statuary, or what 
Iamblichus called uh, Thamata, and the statuary was usually uh, infused with herbs and minerals and such that would correspond to that god. And um, so I have, uh, in this book, written a rite that very specifically um, focuses in on Mercury because Mercury rules commerce and games of chance. Uh, this book focuses on, on using the familiar in gambling. Uh, so that's your first task. Now, I also list uh, lunar days and uh, phases of the moon and uh, hours of the day, magical hours of the day, uh, based on the Higermantea, which you can use this book to get into much more activities with your familiar than gambling. But just to get you started, uh, the first objective is with success in games of chance. And that's why specifically it's called a mercurial familiar spirit. I have to ask you, how much of this stuff ties in with like voodoo and hoodoo tradition? Because... Oh, that's a really good question. There's a lot of... I'm, I'm feeling a lot of carryover because in that, in voodoo and hoodoo, you're always trying to talk to like Legba. To, that, that was, I think it was Legba. That was one of his jobs. He was associated with things like that. Am I wrong if on you, that one? Is it Legba or not? I don't remember. No, if you... If you the way I know uh, hoodoo, it's uh, dealing a lot with mojo bags. And, yeah, black cat bags. Uh, so, uh, black cat mojo yeah. bags, actually. Which again, Gambling black, luck. Yeah, yes, black cat comes up in there as well. That's I go into the history of that, how that got started, um, how it trickled down to uh, hoodoo. Um, I'm actually looking this up as I, as we talk about it. <laughs> yeah, the idea of you're insoling a mojo bag, and usually it's by breathing on it. This mm -hmm. is in hoodoo in the ATRs, the African uh, traditional religions. You either breathe on it or you smoke it in an incense, and the incense is made up of the gods thamata or how uh, easier less complicated term would be theurgic uh, tokens meaning that these are things that uh, the god manifest through into this world by it associates to the god uh, so you you gather up all these herbs and minerals into like it, this came from theurgy down to hoodoo. It was also in the ATRs. It's not all hermetic. This is sort of universal in magic practice, this idea. Calling down a spirit and putting stuff that corresponds to that spirit and the nature of that spirit. And then insoling it, bringing that spirit to life in this material realm. And your question is, could it be a living cat? Yeah. Uh, I don't really want to do that. I maybe have some ethical issues. So I chose the uh, <laughs> figurine instead. Um, specifically where Hoodoo got that practice of the black cat being associated with gambling luck. The black cat is, bone spell, right? Right. Uh, yeah. They would boil a black cat. That came from the Actually, grimoire of St. Cyprian. That was a, that was a spell. That spell saved in a folder on my desktop. I can read it off if you want. Yeah, go Where ahead. I do not suggest anybody. No, no, we do not cats. suggest that anybody do. Here it is. Uh, the notorious black cat. Bone, I'm, I'm dragging you all over the place tonight. I apologize. No, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm, notorious, I'm tracking right with you. 
the black, notorious black hat bow and charm is subject for I, I, one of my big things is I've always been interested before I read into this. I've always been interested in the legends of the crossroads and the different parallels from voodoo magic, hoodoo magic, all of these different things and the European legends that all tie mm-hmm. into yeah. the crossroads magic and the legend of going and selling your soul to the devil. The whole crossroads thing ties into so much of this stuff and part of the whole black cat um, hoodoo magic part of it. A lot of it has to do with getting black cats. There, for for spell purposes in voodoo and hoodoo, there are spells for everything that has to do with a dead black cat. Um, some of them recommend live cats to do this stuff with, and that's like no, well, no, I'm no one. I'm not going to do any of this stuff anyways. But the idea of taking a live cat and and doing something inhumane to it to get a, a magical purpose on it. Um, yeah. I know there's people out there that are listening right now. They're going to laugh at me for, for but that very much bothers me. I but mean, animal, you know. animal sacrifice is a big part of the ATRs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, who am I to judge? I come from a culture who, uh, kills millions of cattle and chickens and stuff for, yeah. uh, who am I to judge? You exactly. Know? <laughs> so anyways, uh, cook the body of a black cat in a boiling water with white seeds of wood from a willow until the meat is loosened from the bones, strain the bones in linen cloth in front of a mirror, place the bones one by one in your mouth until you feel, until you find you have magic to make you become invisible. Uh, mm-hmm. Keep the bone, keep the bone with the magic properly, and if you want to go somewhere without being seen, place the bone in your mouth. Well, okay, that's how to become invisible. Where is that's mm-hmm. the black cat uh, bone spell? I can't find the one about how to make a black cat hoodoo ba- that, bag. That 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 spell you just uh, gave is it came from one of Saint Cyprian, who is a pseudonym for multiple grimoires from mm-hmm. antiquity, but that came from that and got. Uh, Hoodoo in America took uh, lots of uh, influence from the European grimoires, uh, Books of Moses and Key of Solomon and such. So you can find Solomonic uh, seals and stuff very much in tied into hoodoo. Well, it's also um, from South African magical practices there as well. It kind of it came over with the slaves for the most part. Yeah. It, well, it all, it all bleeds. It's all a stew. Blend. It all bleeds into one another. Yeah. Yeah. It's a blend. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that I would, I, I kind of go into it, all of this that you brought up, uh, St. Cyprian and the boiling and how in hoodoo today, uh, there's a lady and wonderful little lady, uh, called Kat Ironwood over at Lucky Mojo and she sells hoodoo products and she came up with, instead of selling black cat bones, she wasn't comfortable with that as an ethical practice. She began making hoodoo products, uh, black cat luck products. And I'd, I'd like to touch on invisibility, if you'll remind me in a bit. Yep. Uh, she came up with that uh, by using the sumthamata, which is one of Iamblichus's terms to talk about theurgic tokens. Uh, she used black cat hair. So black cat hair is actually uh, used in this rite to attain a uh, gambling mercurial familiar uh, that's part of it. So it's much nicer to give your cat a good brushing than to uh, boil it alive. And for that reason, I I, uh, I really admire Cat Ironwood and her work in uh, sort of um, bringing that uh, sort of change about. Uh, substitutes for black cat bones. If you are looking for a type of visibility, then regular cat bones can be used just as long as you purchase them labeled as regular cat bones and not black cat bones. 
Coyote bones can also be used. Like cats, coyotes have a remarkable ability to get their businesses get their business undetected. And then there is a spell in here for gambling. The bone is also tied with money, such as a $2 bill, which are hard to find nowadays. A person, uh, a personal belongings of the protection, pr ah, practitioner, there goes my reading thing, and is dressed and blessed with conditioned oil and smoked with incense. The bone is then used as a lucky pocket piece. The bone can also be added to mojo bags. And the mojo bag is one of the ones that I'm still trying to find. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've got all this stuff saved in here. Me and Lobo covered a lot of this stuff a long, long time ago, way, way mm -hmm. back. But it's been years since we've touched on any of this. Well, I list um, out um, some stuff in, in my book about going back to the PGM, the Greek magical papyri, about attaining a supernatural assistant or familiar spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, about the invisibility part, uh, that is not about invisibility in the material world that is about invisibility on in the shaman's world or what hermeticists and new agers might call the astral or um the spirit realm uh that's that's about invisibility there mm -hmm. and i i talk about this a little bit in the book uh if you go back to egyptian magical text it's the figure of Anubis uh, that stands at the shaman's gate and whose aspect you take on as the magician to travel in the realms of the dead. You take on uh, Anubis's visage. So this thing back to animals and uh, an spirit animals and the shamans, you know, the spirits coming to us as animals, those are either ridden into those realms by the shaman or by the magician or the shaman actually becomes the visage of those animals mm -hmm. uh, so the invisibility part it's about that travel that it's not about uh, material invisible you know I think there was a news story a while back about a guy who had paid a lot of money to some practitioner to make him invisible and he tried to go rob a bank that's <laughs> yeah that's not how it works yeah Exactly. We were talking with somebody else a few months ago. We had him on the show about um, Islamic um, voodoo practices. And he was talking about how he had bought in several charms for like bulletproof and stuff like that. I'm like, well, how does that work? You know, do you, do you walk in the middle of a crowd? He goes, well, if you walk in the middle of the crowd and somebody gets shot and you don't, well, the charm worked. You know, it's just, I was like, well, you don't actually turn invisible, do you? And he's like, no, you don't actually turn invisible. But the idea is, is that the charm makes it so people just don't notice you. You know, they don't pay attention yeah. to you as you're walking through a crowd of people or doing whatever. That's the idea is that, I, you know. I honest, yeah, I honestly used a, a bit of magic today as uh, Kelly and I were out to eat. Uh, but uh, that's another I mean, I'll get sidetracked on that. Uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to bring up about uh, the black cat blood okay, and uh, how that is also a major part of the grimoire practice. Uh, in the right that I have got in this book, you need a black-handled knife, which is the Solomonic knife used in goetic work. Uh, you need a black cat figurine. You need black cat hair. You need mercury incense, and you need a yellow silk or flannel, and you need a tin box to house the figurine. I also give you two circles. One uh, has uh, barbarous names written around it that correspond to mercury and the spirits of mercury, and you place the black cat figurine in that. The other uh, circle is uh, 
the names Adonai, Agla, Elohim, Yodhe Vavhe, the typical magician circle, and that's the one you stand in. And this book, this is not like the Black Cat Mojo. That uh, it, it's it's not quite like that. This book is a bit more advanced, and you were doing a full out conjuration of spirit. Uh, if listeners may have read some of Stephen Skinner's work uh, or heard Stephen Skinner interviewed on some podcast, he talks about in traditional conjuration uh, of spirits, there's is a technology to it, and I walk you through that in the right from the consecratio day to the invocatio, to legatio, to licentia. Uh, all those are the traditional aspects, both both in the East and West, of conjuration of a spirit. Uh, legatio is the binding of the spirit. Um, so this is not like exactly like buying a black cat luck mojo bag. This book will walk you through a full spirit conjuration. And I warn people... In here, if you're expecting to get rich overnight, this this title is a little bit uh, misleading. You're doing a full-on spirit conjuration that is going to affect your life in many unforeseen ways for quite a while. <laughs> Good, bad? What do you mean? Like, you know? <laughs> well, I I think it, it's see. I don't like practice a, magic. I'm not a person. I I honestly don't really believe in magic, but that doesn't mean just because I don't believe in something doesn't mean it's not real. I, I, no know? problem with that. I didn't so, believe. I mean, that works either. for the flat earthers, so it should work for me. You know, I was a, a fundamentalist evangelical Christian for all of my life, and uh, until I went through a divorce and I turned to magic in desperation, and I had a huge experience. And magic and spirits, uh, as a spirit encounter upon doing a conjuration was the realest thing that I've ever had happen in my life. And at that point, I, d I don't need to believe in magic. I Belief is something for people who don't have evidence. Uh, I experienced magic and I belief is uh, not even part of my, my worldview. Well, isn't isn't a cornerstone of magic that you have to believe in what you're doing. That's the way I was always presented to me I, that you, for it to yeah, work. I, you have to believe that it's going to work. I didn't. Uh, it was an act of desperation. I, I did it half acidly. My first conjuration, I didn't even have uh, the full regalia, the paraphernalia that I was supposed to have. Yeah, but paraphernalia, again, that's something I've always been taught. It's not necessary. It's, it's the, you don't like there's, um, there's Jewish folk magic, I believe mm -hmm. it is, where, you know, they, they're one of their spells is you just take a leaf, dirt, and spit, and that's what you yeah. use for the spell, because that's all, you know, many of the old Jewish folk magic spells mm -hmm. are very much along those ways. They, you know, they would have berries and sticks, kind of like Wicca, I guess, because yeah. that was all the people had to do it. That was the only things that they had. So... I know probably Soraya and a few people are out there wanting to choke me right now. Guys, I'm sorry. I love you. Just bear with me here. I'm probably wrong on some of this. But from what I have always understood, well, whatever, whatever, if you believe that the things that you're using in the spell are necessary for the spell, mm -hmm. then that's what causes it to work. But you know, I, I, I don't adhere to that. I believe that magic universally takes uh, what Iamblich is called uh, Oh, I forgot the name now, but essentially the, the <laughs> theurgic tokens, which 
if you start practicing magic, you will be thrown into the natural world. You will be uh, completely obsessed with herbs, learning about herbs, learning how to use herbs, because the herbs themselves are um, manifestations of these daemons. The daemons, you, you hear shamans talking about there being a, a, a spirit of ayahuasca or mm-hmm. a spirit of mescaline, uh, which is in peyote and a few other uh, cactuses and such. Uh, there being an actual spirit associated with that plant. And through my, like I said, coming from fundamentalist evangelical Christianity into a practice I didn't believe in and having the most real experience of my life. And then I, I kind of have turned away from books because books were what I was obsessed with in Christianity. I've turned more towards experience and I call it an initiation. And I, th- I think it's so universal that magic, wherever it's practiced or whatever it's called, will be dealing with those uh, things that you just uh, named, maybe earth, uh, dirt, earth, uh, herbs, plants, mm-hmm. uh, because those are the manifestations of the demons, the demons, the spirits, mm-hmm. and that's how we interact with them. Because from my experience, it's all ritual. Like, th- that's one of the things I was ha- We were having a conversation recently on Facebook in the group and they were talking, there was some, I believe the conversation was something along the line of, of magic versus religion. And I fired back with, well, I don't want to say fired back, but my statement was, well, it's all ritual. And I mean, really, Christianity didn't start oh. bringing the whole thing of like the Catholic kneel stand where the uniforms carry the, you know, where the robe carry the staff, blah, blah, blah. A lot of that stuff, from what I understand, was brought in to help bring the pagans over because. Man. Original Christianity. Look, Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're doing my book for me. Well, the, uh, that, that's how I started out. I said Iamblichus was a guy trying to preserve what ritual is, is the technology for getting into contact, face-to-face contact with demons, mm-hmm. with the gods. So what and you're doing so, in Christianity is you're, it's you're all, it's exactly all ritual. Right. It's all, it's all... But, it's just they, the difference between magic is magic is you're pulling the stuff out of yourself where you like when Christianity, you're praying to a higher God to intercede and give you the power or bless it upon you to do whatever you need done or something like that. Whereas with magic, mm-hmm. you're kind of cutting out the middleman and yes. you're just going right to the source of it. And the church is like, no, we can't have that. We have to have people coming here and doing this and believing in this and donating money here and so forth. So that is evil. The herb is evil. The creature right. is evil. But when you look you at know, the practice of all of it, it's all ritual. It's just a matter I'm, of where the arrow is pointing. Yeah, I don't want to sound too critical of Christianity because, like Carl Jung, I believe in a lot of the symbology of Christianity. And symbol is never just symbol. It's uh, what is the mask of a much greater truth. I think Christianity and a lot of religion, uh, whatever, maybe Buddhism or Hinduism. Yeah, all religions do it. Yes. They've retained the ritual, but they've forgotten that there is a greater reality with contact with the other and that ritual isn't just about an ideal. What we're having, what we're experiencing, Kelly and I both, is direct contact with whatever other is. It's not magic is not a worldview. It's not an ideal. It's a reality of contact with something, uh, you know. I'm not going to exclude the psychological model. The psyche is so misunderstood. Maybe it is. Who knows? It certainly presents itself as something that is other uh, of an intelligence of its 
own. It knows things that you don't know consciously. Mm-hmm. And going back to Jung and the possibility of the unconscious, and you know, we could go on and on theoretically. But again, my book and my stance comes from my experience, and not what I was involved with in uh, fundamentalist Christianity, which was an obsession with theology and doctrines and creed and everything that amounts to belief. Uh, I've turned my back on that and I'm after experience now. And I would, my goal in this book is to stand with the amblicus in the ancient world in the face of Christianity and say, you're taking our rituals but you don't know what they mean. Good they luck are with that. Te- That's been going on for thousands of years. <laughs> they are the technology that will lead you in face-to-face contact with the demons and with the gods. And, uh, you know, that's my message. That's my sermon. Yeah, good luck with that, man. Good luck with that. Because <laughs> I've had people, you know, I've got people that are hardcore sex magic practitioners. And they're like, you really need to try this. You know, besides being a mm-hmm. lot of fun, it's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nah, nah. Actually, me and a buddy of mine were talking about Dresden Files last night. The very first book of the Dresden Files series, Stormfront, mm-hmm. has to do very much with sex magic. Um, but it's it's such a power where even chaos magic, you know, when you yeah. write out the glyph and the, the idea is that you go and you take it and you put it somewhere and you exercise really fiercely while you're holding on to this yeah. or you masturbate or, or you have sex or whatever, you're putting your energy, the energy that's created from all that into that, which is what's mm-hmm. powering the spell to do this. Yeah. And I've got friends I, who are I, like, man, you really need to try this. And I'm like, nah, I don't think so. I'm not. To, no. To, to comment on uh, chaos magic and some of the more modern forms of magic. I really think that is a um, we went through a postmodern era in in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, where all our in institutions of authorities, be they religious or uh, scientific, they, they were challenged. And a lot of them are in the process of dissolution. And I think that chaos magic is did that for for magic in general. It challenged the Victorian uh conception of what magic is and this sort of monotheistic approach well, of renaissance hermeticists. Really? And was it just chaos magic? Because you also saw the birth of the Wicca religion coming out of all of that. Right. You saw the rise of yeah. um, the Church of Satan. You saw. You also seen things like the rise of Scientology. You saw all these other things all coming along at that period of time to, that, all, that were all an influence in one form mm-hmm. or another. You know, and, and I believe you're seeing the rebirth of that now. You yeah. Know? So that's that's the point that uh, I, I'm making, that those things r- arose from what died before. And those things are dying and new things will be born. And I think Christianity is on its way out, uh, uh, it, at least in its its form that it is now, which is that nothing. I'll, I'll agree with Christianity it's survives mono, by it's, it's monotheistic therapeutic deism. It's come to Jesus and he will solve every problem in your life. And that's not even scriptural. It's survived for 2000 years because Christianity is a absorb and it's, it's, it's an assimilate religion where whenever something new comes along, it eventually just absorbs it and assimilates it. And that's what keeps it going. Especially, I mean, I'm not going to go on a political ramp, but you're seeing it happen now just in terms like this, this whole political thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got you've you've got um, you've got Michael, um, you know, doing his witch magic stuff to bind Trump. And oh, then you've right. got the yeah. other side of the spectrum where you've Michael got Michael Hughes. Yeah, yeah you've, you've got you've got Michael Hughes doing which we've had on the show. Super nice guy. Really cool. Yeah. He hangs out in our page. Um, his thing is I'm sure the, he's listening. Political... Hi, Mike. <laughs> yeah. But, he, you know, he's 
And he gets so pissed off when people call him a witch too. I got every time somebody <laughs> does that, I always tease. I'm like, they're calling you a witch again, Mike. But um, <laughs> I mean, you're seeing you're seeing that happen now. Where I, I have to when, when I sit because I'm not into any of this stuff. I have books here right now that I'm looking at. I got a couple. I have a couple of sex magic books here. I got the ones that I got from you. I got a couple on Blavatsky. I've got some fairy magic books. I don't practice any of this stuff. I read them more as a historical, you know, and I'm sitting right next to me. I've got the Malus Maleficorum, which I was reading when I went to visit Soraya. Yeah. Um, so I've got all of these different things that I read and I dabble in and things like that. But I've, I've never practiced magic and I don't want to practice magic. But you're seeing um, you're seeing kind of this rebirth of stuff. But at the same time. You're also seeing the kick, like for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So mm -hmm. what Michael is doing, you're seeing the kickback from it. It's like, okay, all of these witchers are casting spells. Come Christians gather and, and we must rally around and we must <laughs> counter that. And I got to laugh because I read all this stuff and then, you know, I'm seeing what we're seeing when you sit back and you look at it is you're seeing a battle of wizards over politics right now yeah. and being played yeah. out very much in I, front of us. I know Christians uh, deny magic, but use it to battle magic. Uh, I know they just it's crazy. It it's magic. like you have the battle of the white wizards versus the battle of the dark wizards. And I'm sitting back and, and I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to you as a ma magic practitioner, but I got to mm. laugh. I find all of this hysterical. You and know, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't really define myself very um, categorically. Uh, yeah, I do a lot of ritual stuff and yeah, a lot of it is hermetic and uh, theurgical, but I am I also very aware of the psychedelic movement and Terrence McKenna and how he described the spirit of the mushroom or the mushrooms voice. I think we're talking about the very same things and also with um, these emerging movements that they may not call themselves magic, but they're all sort of pointing at this uh, same underlying archetypal type thing that is uh, a cultural movement uh, that we're emerging into from the old forms. And I think magic, however it's framed, if you want a you know, left-hand path or, you know, hoodoo or whatever, all those things are sprouting up like mushrooms. But you also uh, have people much like yourself that are just kind of taking all of this, putting together as a stew and doing their own thing. Now, Lobo, I can't is, speak for Lobo. That describes me exactly. But Lobo has he, Lobo has his own thing that he does. And me, actually, me and him don't, we, we've only briefly touched on it a little bit because for him, it's a very personal thing. And I get the yeah. feeling that he really doesn't like to talk about it very much. He has. We've had listeners of the show contact him in private and, and there are people that listen to us that he's worked with for various magical things, but it's not something he really discusses publicly. But mm -hmm. from what I've been able to ascertain, I mean, he's been raised uh, around a lot of Santeria and things like that. Mm -hmm. I've been to his house. I've been to his basement. He does have a magical altar of some kind in his basement, which did creep me out a little bit. But, you know, I don't even know how much he still practitions anymore. But for him, it's a very personal thing. And he's when I've tried to talk to him, he's kind of like. It's kind of a hodgepodge for him. He's been yeah. he just takes all of these different things and throws it together and does what he needs to do with it, for the most I, part. That's it. I don't I don't want to criticize uh, specific magical schools or anything, but I think people get lost in them a lot, like Christian denominations. Yeah, exactly. I I think that this is coming from my my experiential hypothesis that when you are doing magic, you are getting in contact with karmic forces and like. A lot of shamans and a lot of different cultures, I consider them ancestors. I do think there are non-human, uh, what we may call gods or daemons, but I think uh, the first thing we come into contact are like the Roman Lares, uh, the spirits that are sort of around us already. 
uh, as individuals, as families, as a culture, as a society. Each one, like you mentioned, uh, Legba, that God, uh, I wouldn't work with him because I can. it's not part of my tradition and I would be sort of afraid to approach uh, a tradition that had nothing to do with me and try to, you know, I, I've heard some bad stories about stuff like that going on. You, it's about well, respect from what I understand. Abor- yeah, like Legba is one of, of the most understood. Uh, Legba, well, there's a lot of stuff in voodoo that's misunderstood. It actually borrows a lot from Catholicism in many ways. And they did that because when they came over as slaves, it was like, well, you guys are practicing magic. That's bad. No, 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 no. It's actually what, what you guys refer to as saints. We refer to as this. What you do is that. We do is this. And okay, well, yeah. we're suspicious, but we'll let it slide. I, but, I, I want to correct myself in saying I don't I'm not saying that I would never touch that. I'm saying in examining Legba and except in examining Juno and examining Jupiter and examining Zeus, um, Odin, you can find this common archetype of a, a certain god in, in Hermeticism. Well, every culture has that. We classify them as Jupiterian, uh, even Yahweh. That would be along the lines of Jove, uh, Jupiter, Zeus. Uh, so I, I, I'm trying to get, a, get away from from locking people into a, a certain worldview. And I'm trying to get them to have a broader archetypal perspective of magic that takes in, takes in the ATRs and learns from them, but doesn't jump in there like, well, this is me now and defines themselves with that because it's not, that's a lie. You're just, you're wearing a mask. Uh, so for me, that yeah, magic, but that's human nature to want to categorize things to certain things. That's how we yeah. function. That's like yeah, that, I that's often very, go back to, well, are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Are you this? Are you yeah. that? Are you blah, blah, blah? And when somebody says I'm a Christian, it's like, all right, well, what branch of Christianity do you fall into? There's like, what, 7000 different branches of Christianity yeah, at this point, yeah, yeah. you know, unless, OK, well, we're just going to broad blanket it. But, you know, as long as you're as long as you're in the tent, you're cool. But that's human nature to want to to want to categorize and make things fit into nice little neat boxes. That's all about Mercury uh, and hermetic thought, astrological thought, Uh, the signs ruled by Mercury, Gemini and Virgo. Kelly is a Virgo and she is the most organized person. I know she loves organization. She loves labeling things and there's nothing wrong with that. We need that in the material. So what am I then? Uh, I would say you are a uh, quester. You are out there asking questions. Now what's my and, sign? <laughs> oh. What would you be, be talking to me and going through? What do you think what I am? Oh, what man. would you guess my sign would be? Hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. at all into astrology in any way, I'm shape, gonna or say, form, whatever. Oh, let me think about this a second. Taurus. Yep. Damn you. Okay, good. <laughs> yes, that's correct. I, I, the, I think we've talked about this before, but I was going to say Taurus or Leo. You are not the first person that's into this to come up and tell me that, though. I've had many people that are practitioners that have come up and said, you're a Taurus, aren't you? And I'm like, yes, you can't bullshit a bull. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that is again, I'm not I'm not into astrology or anything like that. I just know that my my astrological sign is a Taurus. So <clears throat> Yeah, I guess my my point with uh, where I was going and about uh, get in the get into um, where you come from. Magic should be very individualized and should be outside of institution. I don't have any problem with lineage or uh, you know uh, if you're part of a certain order, staying with that. And but have your own experiences, and I think you, you're going to come into contact with uh, specific spirits that aren't like, uh, you know, 
they're not for everybody. They're for an individual. You very like, much mirror Soraya's thoughts when I've talked to him about magic or when I've listened to him speak of magic. He, uh, I don't, I don't believe he follows a school either. This is funny. I'm talking about all these people in the night that practice magic, but I, I don't think Soraya follows any practical school of magic either. Because I've heard him talk about. You know, I've heard him say, yeah, I actually kind of like what Crowley does and what Crowley says. Mm -hmm. Crowley says, go out and question this and go do that and blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, having met Sarai and been to his place and, and seen his tremendous library that he has and all of the, of the knowledge and stuff he has, he comes across as a person that doesn't seem to fit any one particular school of magic either. It's uh, just... Yeah, uh, he's, he's very unassuming and uh, uh, with humility and uh, very unlike much. people people that are full of dogma and belief and doctrine and institution. They, they are not like that at all. Uh, they're very whack you in the head with their beliefs. And if you're believe otherwise they're wrong, but I believe the magical, if you follow through with the ritual in this book, you're going, I believe that you're going to have an experience. And like I said, the title is a bit, uh, misleading. It's black cat gambling familiar. I think you can receive help, but I think, Receiving help in financial areas, uh, which Mercury rules, I want to talk about even though the spiritual experiences with spirits are very individualized, there is a hierarchy to the spiritual world. And Mercury especially uh, has to do with money and commerce and medicine. I did a uh, write and... Uh, when you telling, say a rite, what do you mean? Do you, is a rite a ritual? Is oh, a rite casting a, a yeah, spell? That's a, or? that's a good question. Uh, we go back to the Sumbola and the uh, Sumthamata of Iamblichus and what All that right, you is. You just said a bunch of words there that, I, that make not it, a damn it, bit of sense both, to the average layman. <laughs> both, both of those terms were uh, applied to theurgy. And what Iamblichus was saying is that ritual is the technology to contact the daemons and the gods. And those, they're, they're symbols. They can be, you know, magic has tons of symbols from seals of spirits to the, the astrological signs to the planetary signs, tons of symbols, the alchemical symbols. Those are all sumthamata, what uh, Iamblichus is talking about as theurgic tokens that uh, the gods and the daemons can manifest through do manifest through and we can get in contact with them through so ritual the sumthamata also uh in words is huge logos uh this is something that terence mckenna gets into about the obsession through celtic lore with the fey uh all throughout egyptian stuff with the sphinx and these word puzzles logic puzzles paradox are a huge part words Magical words of power are a huge part. They are sumthamata. Ritual is sumthamata. Herbs are sumthamata. Uh, minerals is, is go ahead. Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> actually, Sudoku, I, I have Sudoku met people comes who from do magical squares. Yeah, I was going to say I've met people that actually do Sudoku to do spells, and I'm like, yeah, what? <laughs> oh my god, magical squares are a huge thing that I don't have a mathematical It's like tarot. Mind. Tarot was a card game before people were using it to, to to divine the future. Tarot was actually a card game. You know, it's it was and, a yeah. weird, complicated card game, but eventually people just forgot that it was a card game and started using it as a way of predicting the future. Much Michael, like Solitaire. Yeah, Michael Hughes, uh, I've heard several interviews with him on tarot, but tarot is definitely sumthamata, is theurgic uh, tokens. I mean, we've laid on top of them 
as magical practitioners, well, this card, the magician, corresponds to mercury and to air and to all the things, to yellow and to all these uh, mercurial herbs and such. And so they have hold all of this meaning, this symbolic meaning that point uh, to intelligences. So, uh, yeah, I for, kind of forgot where we were going well, with you're that. You were talking but. about how you, you did a, you'd said you had done a right. Well, so for, for layman's terms, we'll say that you actually, you were doing a spell. Because you yeah. were like, I'm using magical technical terms, and I'm like, I'm an idiot. Even though I know this stuff, I know a lot of people don't know this stuff. So I'm trying okay. to, I'm trying okay, to keep so. it like, like if you were, if you were to write a book to a dummy's guide to magic, you yeah. gotta. And I'm not that I'm calling our people stupid, but this is this is stuff that people normally aren't into for the most part. You know, that's that's kind of one of the things I think a lot of people. Some people are intimidated, not to cut you off, but I think some people are intimidated to get into magic because. They'll go online and they'll type in like magical practitioning and then they'll get like the book of crazy magic circles and symbols yeah, and yeah, yeah. strange words. And a lot of people look at that and go, man, this is way too complicating because well, I think a lot of people come to this because they've been let down by religion. They've been oh, let absolutely. down by all these different things and they're looking for some way to gain some kind of control over their life that they don't have. And magic may offer that. But when they a lot of people go and see this stuff, unless they're really into like like goth music or whatever, you know. Some people see this stuff, they go, eh, whatever, you know, and it's just not for them. And even though, again, I don't practice and I don't believe in this stuff, it would be cool if somebody were to come along and do a basic system and say, I'm not going to use technical words. I'm going to use really basic words. This is how you do this really basic stuff. Don't get involved with that. You can if you want to, but here's how you do it from here. Um, there, you hear about magical blinds and, uh, and in Thelema and Golden Dawn, the, the traditional magical schools, you start it and you open it up and you're just like, what is all this? Exactly. The, exactly. The, the people that really want it will go after it and learn all of those correspondences and what the 22 Hebrew letters like, and that all of that. And all of that builds a foundation of knowledge of Sumthamata, of theurgic token, of symbol. Like it's Thelemic a language. Magic is the equivalent to geometry or trigonometry to <laughs> mathematics you've it, got you know you've got religion and then you're like oh what is this philemic stuff oh, it's really is, universal wow uh, <laughs> you know it's really universal the symbol set is really universal and it's the language of the daemons it's very very basically i i wrote this book specifically for a beginner uh if you want luck and gambling, start here. And I, I, even though I do go into technical terms and stuff, I, I've written it very simply so anybody can do it. But at the same time, I want to warn people that magic in every culture, every time, every place, the point of it is spirit contact. Uh, that's, that's it. A spell, you're asking for a spirit to come help you do with this or that. It may be couched in, you know, the Victorians may have put it this way. The chaos magicians may have put a psychological model on it. So what's the idea uh, with the, not to sidetrack you, but what's the idea with the spell where you, you take what you want and you write it on a piece of paper, then you remove all the vowels out of it. Then you take all of those letters and you make it into a quote spooky symbol. And then that's the thing where you have sex or you masturbate or you exercise and you're putting the energy in that. And then after that, you destroy that piece of paper aren't you what's charging that to make it happen? Cause the idea is at some point or another subconsciously you will make what you want to happen through that. That, that That's mm -hmm. what I always thought chaos magic was. You're, you're, yeah, you're, I mean, chaos, chaos magic isn't really anything new. Uh, we have planetary 
the planetary camias, the magic squares, going back to Sudoku, mm-hmm. uh, traditionally those are how, how sigils are created. Uh, you can take, in fact, I have a book, Solomon's Lotto book, and I give the magical squares for each planet, and you can produce your own sigils with those. Now, that's the traditional way to do it. Uh, the modern way to do it is just take your own uh, system of uh, your own intent and break it down and turn it into a sigil. But we have, that's been, that's nothing new. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're, but the idea with that is, I, I always thought that it, you were the one chart, you were the one putting, I know there's probably magic people out again wanting to kill me, but I thought the idea was it's your putting power from you into that to charge that to make something happen yeah, down the road there further. is definitely something to that because not all of us have contact from the daemons, uh, direct face-to-face contact. We don't all get... Uh, abducted by aliens or yeah, you uh, can't FaceTime a demon, you know, which actually I'm pretty sure there'll be an app coming out for it at some right. point. But <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> paranormal experiences do happen to some people uh, mm-hmm. and it's not anything that they have initiated. But typically that's in magic. We are initiating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happens after we initiate it, we can't explain as being of our own power. Uh, it seems like there's something else on the other side. Uh, that can control stuff like synchronicity and life changes. I mean, my God, Kelly and I have been through so much since we started this journey with magic. So I would say, yeah, there is something to that, to initiating contact, to putting your will out there and saying, as a magician or or shaman, this is my will. And uh, after you do that, let's see what happens. And in my experience, once I did that, there is no way what happened could have been part of my uh, psychology. It was, I got, um, I had some uh, activity, paranormal activity around the house, some poltergeist stuff. I had like 30 green flies up here in the, the kitchen. I had a uh, picture. This was in my first conjuration. And it was such a psychic trauma to me that I wasn't expecting because I didn't really believe in this. So that, you decided to do it again. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me about a year. I, at, at, when, it, when the black-headed goat came and full, pulled its face off and there was this bald lady that I call Venus Calva, it was a Venus rite that I did. When all of that transpired, it scared the absolute you know what out of me can i cuss yeah you can cuss you've already it's, done it four times anyways but go ahead. <laughs> it's okay it's okay it's it scared it terrified me as a fundamentalist christian uh terrified me and i washed my hands of magic and i said i am never touching this stuff again but something yeah, that worked out real well didn't it well something else <laughs> it kept unfolding through synchronicity through what the gnostics called gnosis through what the theurgist called this is the real deal uh, through something outside of myself that kept guiding me, which is exactly what the the personal daemon of the initiate is supposed to do. Something kept guiding me further in after that initial initiatory experience. Uh, after a year of turning my back and said, I, uh-uh, I could not turn my back on it anymore. I said, this is the most real thing that's ever happened to me, and I have to pursue it where it goes. And today, I can say that that initial experience with that horrifying black goat, which I've learned is the alchemist call it, uh, well, Carl Jung calls it, the no work can be done in the great work. 
which is uh, the objective of magic. There's the, the magnum opus, the great work. No work can begin without first encountering the dragon of the abyss, the black dragon, and going through the process, the alchemical process of negrito, of putrefaction. And that is exactly what that initial experience was for me. It was a dying of my old views and my old self. And I was reborn as this person who can look back to that experience and take power from it as that was the most real thing that ever happened to me. And when I begin to doubt myself and doubt my path, I can look back to that and say that was real and continue on in strength. That's like, that's another reoccurring trope that you see happen you see it happen with shamanism. The, the idea is, man, shamanism, you have to be broke down and destroyed and rebuilt. That's part of the shamanic process. You have that same process when people become born-again Christians, hence the term born-again. You are born-again. You're supposed to have it. <laughs> well, some, it, again, it's, it's a belief thing. Some people, you know, oh, many people no believe, doubt. yes, they are, they are reborn through Christ. That's part no of the No doubt whole thing Christianity of, you know, has helped people, yeah. Yeah, no. it, but it's... Well, I, I do know some really cool Christian people. I like when we do our we do a section on the show called Biblical Jackass, where Lobo is not Lobo is more anti-religious than I am. I personally don't care what a person's religious views yeah. are, as long as you're not hurting anybody else and you're not there saying my religion is better than yours, so therefore you must believe in my religion or you yeah, are bad yeah. or what have you. I mean, so, since since Julian's time, Solomonic magic and Goetic magic has survived in a monotheistic Catholicism, so. I don't think it cares much what your worldview is. Yeah, it's it's going to do what it's going to do regardless of if, if, if this stuff is real, this stuff is going to do what it's going to do. And we're just kind of obstacles and things to be pushed and moved around and, and things like that. You know, we are interchangeable pieces on the chessboard for the most part. But uh, but yeah, going back to what I was saying, that's one of the things that's the whole thing of alchemy. I, I very frequently joke that this podcast is my alchemy. When, and when I brew wine and I make mead and I make beer Absolutely. and all of those, you know, that th- those things are my alchemy. Cause Absolutely. I'm, the the uh, whole process of alchemy is you're taking something that's worthless, the whole lead in the gold, uh, lead in the gold thing. You're taking something that's worthless and reshaping it to making it something greater and worth more. Yeah. You they, know, they're they, allegories. The process of, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, distillation. Yes. Um, how how much has that process of distilling spirits taught you patience and uh, sort of you know you're going through all that. You're that depends what something. I'm doing. <laughs> but you know the, it's funny you should mention that because the people that there are several as I was talking to you off the air I have several listeners that listen to the show that I'm now kind of becoming I've become their brew guru I'm like people are like I want to try this I want to do this I'm like all right here's how you go about doing this and uh to I've I've got some very close friends through the show that are local that I work with I've got another listener in another state um down in Florida and I've been helping her move along and try to do all this stuff and it's a fun process teaching these yeah. people this stuff you know it's it's I really fun, like okay this is how you do this but one of the things I always find myself going back to is you got to be patient let it let it do its job let it let it turn the triggers into alcohol yes that's supposed to happen you know and it's a process it's fun to help these people I, I love doing it. i love teaching these people this stuff because at some point or another uh, at some point it's like all right i'm done i can't teach you anything more now you have to learn your own stuff in your own way and do your own thing and in a lot of ways that's a really cool experience for me mm-hmm. to be able to sit back and say all right go your own path if you need i'm here to help you 
and you know, if Mandy you have a question, but you know, people start and I think my one the one listener, she's already going off and trying crazy stuff on her own, but she was uh, doing crazy stuff from the beginning. So <laughs> I was I was gonna say in five years you might have people that have come back and uh, say, Hey, thanks, Ro uh, because of you I now have this successful business, uh brewery business or whatever. Maybe. What, you know, what, I've got a few friends that are, you know, you know, that got that idea in mind or whatever. I just do it because it's a fun hobby and it's mm-hmm. It's neat for me to take all these different things. Like every time I make something, whenever I make a new mead or I make a new beer or whatever, I never write my stuff down, which in a way kind of sucks because I've made some really cool stuff. And it's like, how the hell did I make that? I didn't write it down. I didn't <laughs> save anything. I just kind of, I guess it's it's chaos brewing. I just, you know, do what I do and throw it to the wind and say, let's see what happens for the most part. Yeah. And in a weird way, it's echoing back because these people are all starting to try smaller. Like I do stuff in five gallons. So now these people are like, they're like, hey, let's, you know, now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try this. You're, you're going to make your one gallon of that. I'm going to make my one gallon of this. And two of my other friends are like, well, I'm going to make me one gallon of this. And we're all we're all kind of going back and comparing notes and learning different things from one another. It's that, neat. I'm going off on a tangent about no, that. I'm sorry. To me, that's that's <laughs> totally magical. Um, I through my work with Saturn and I mentioned I'm a triple Capricorn, so I'm ruled by Saturn. The demon of Saturn, Saturn is, rules, dude. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> the, the demon of Saturn is Zazel. And one of the things he teaches is alchemy. I had no interest in alchemy, uh, spagyrics, uh, herbal distillation. I had no mm-hmm. real interest, but I started working with Saturn, and I got extremely interested. I still have not uh, got my distillation uh, kit set up, but uh, I, I've talked with you a bit about this. Oh, me this. and you need to talk off. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's many things I can help you in with this regard, but you're going to go into a whole different direction than I've never seen anybody do. However, I will <laughs> gladly be here for you if you should need my hope and services. So well, I, I think <laughs> if you want to put this magical worldview on top of what you're doing or not, the process of distillation describes for the alchemist uh, the spiritual growth, uh, the spiritual development and for me, that's what magic is. I mean, I got involved in magic because I had a divorce and I wanted Christianity had failed me and I wanted power. I wanted revenge. And through my involvement, I got this shit scared out of me. And then I, I, I suddenly had to face some of my own stuff and had to start growing as a person. So in my book, uh, Black Cat uh, Gambling Familiar, I warn people, you may come to magic for you know, less than noble reasons, but you're going to find that, uh, your experiences there are going to be so valuable, uh, and, and pertain to your growth as a person, as a human that, uh, you know, facing your demons, uh, it's, it's what we're doing. Um, it's, it's the most rewarding and real thing I've ever uh, been involved with and uh, like I'm not stuck in this worldview I see what you're doing is magical too you're working with the grains and and stuff that I in my belief there are spirits that are uh, part of every aspect of what you're doing in brewing uh, that are kind of there with you but that's my worldview but for you it's it may funny. be something entirely different it is because I, I don't see anything magical in what I'm doing it's just the fact that I'm it's I'm just creating something out of some, all these different other things like it to me there's no magic involved in it at all it's just for me it's a form of cooking or another form of art uh, the same way a person would crochet or something or, or 
or well i also see i do all these i do canning too i do a lot of my own canning stuff i'm just kind of that kind of person but <laughs> there's no there's no magic involved with it for me i'm just interested in those kinds of things I, you know i just um, got well you say that but uh terrence mckenna talks about growing mushrooms and he talks about the experience as opposed to buying mushrooms uh the process of growing mushrooms it becomes mm-hmm. such so much more of a meaningful and back to those symbols a symbolic uh, experience than if you were to just you know away from mushrooms if you were to just go buy a beer like a Bud Light and like go 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 you know no you're not like at that level of consciousness you're at a much higher place that you're doing all of these things yourself and producing something that has so much more meaning than a forty ounce on the shelf. Yeah, it doesn't taste like shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it means. Well, no, it's just the downside is, is once people like, oh, well, you can give me some of that beer. And it's like, no, it doesn't. I'm not going to do that because it took me hours to buy the ingredients and boil the stuff and and have to put it into a jug and let it wait and do its thing and transferring it, sanitizing everything and then putting it into a bottle and like, here's some of my beer because it's like. You know, I do it because I like to be able, it's something that I created. You know, it's mm-hmm. the same reason I podcast. You know, it's, yeah. it's just something that I put, there's there's a Native, it's funny we were talking about this, it may or may not pertain to this. There's a Native American belief that when you create something, say you create a knife, say you create a spear, say you have a motorcycle that you're working on, um, say you're crafting a beer or whatever, that when you put enough of yourself, there's this idea that when you're making something and you put your heart into it and you really, you know, genuinely appreciate what you're doing, that a small piece of your soul goes into that, which is is like giving life to something and it develops into a soul of its own, much like when you have a child. Two people come together, they make a new life and part of their soul goes in to create part of that life. You're you're preaching my sermon. Uh, We're talking about in theurgy, the ensouling of statuary, but I mean, look at where our culture is. Asheville specifically, we've had this turn towards uh, local artisans, local creative people, turn turning away from the marketed, mass-produced stuff. Uh, Asheville is becoming, you know, you go buy local produce, you go buy. It's local happening meats. everywhere. Every it's, almost it's every beautiful. city around me has some form of a farmer's market. You know, uh, where, you know, farmer's market on Thursday or on Friday, you know, and local people come together and they sell the vegetables and stuff it, that they've grown it, or whatever. It's a re of everyday life. You know, I part of Christianity that I was involved in looked at everyday life as that which is carnal and, you know, not spiritual and sort of the Gnostic thing. We've got it. We're spiritual and the material world is over here and it's bad. But the more I get involved with magic and the more these initiations and spiritual experiences go, the more I realize everyday life is so magical and the ensouling of everyday life through our activities, through your, what we're talking about. That's the magic. I can, I can understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, I can I can see where you're coming from with that. Now, I'm yeah. asking for a little bit more. I'm asking to see the spirits you know, face to face through these levels of manifestation of creation. What is a muse? Why are you interested in brewing in the first place? What is it that causes you to do what you do in the creative way? Me personally? Yeah. Because I like to get as much out of life as I possibly can. See, my overarching belief is we are only here for a limited, you're not here for a long time. You're here for a good time. But, um, you know, I, when I die, 
I want to be able to have done as many things as I possibly can, as much stuff that is possible, that is possible. Like my, one of my bosses was talking to me a little while ago. They're like, how much, how much stuff do you do? You know, like I'm at it. There's a phase that I, my thing in my, well, I'll get to it later, but I try to do as much as I possibly can. I, I ride my motorcycles. I, I brew, I, I do vegetable, you know, I can vegetables. I make jams and things like that. I podcast, um, I try to do as much stuff as I possibly can because it's all the time that I have to do. I was talking to somebody else the other day about, uh, like when I get a day off, if I waste a day off and I don't do anything, I lose my mind. I, cause it's like, that is a day off that I <laughs> could have been doing I'm this. I'm the same way. Doing that. Yeah. You know, like I told this weekend I had, I have, I had a Saturday on Saturday and Sunday off, which I don't get together very, I don't have two days like that very often. Uh, Saturday's off. So I'm like, we have to do something this weekend. What are we going to do? Are we going to go, are we going to go here? Are we going to go to the farmer's market? Are we going to go do this? And she's like, I don't know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I need to know, you know, and as, as a result, I was going to go out riding on a motorcycle with my friend today and then it rained and then it stopped raining and I couldn't get a hold of him. So I said, screw it. I'm going to go out and I'm going to go ride my bike. You know, and every one of these things that I do brings something different to my life. When I'm out riding my motorcycle, I'm listening to other podcasts, or I'm thinking about what I'm going to do for another show. And but when I'm doing my podcast, that is my escape from regular life. I'm not worried yeah. about my job, my wife, my family. When I'm brewing and doing stuff like that, that brings something else. That these these are because I, I have I have depression in many ways. And to defeat depression, I've learned that you have to almost continuously keep keep yourself occupied in some way or another, or for lack of a better term, these demons will get to you, Mm. you know, and that's another thing our show seems to do is we seem to attract these kind of people. We have a lot of people that listen to our show that are on our Facebook page that we've become very close to a lot of our listeners. And I've noticed that a lot of these people in some way or another have some kind of mental disorders or, or depression or some kind of loss in our life. And for whatever reason you know, we fill some kind of a niche in their life or we, you know, like if, if anybody on our Facebook page says, Hey, I'm feeling, we've had people that have done this. have gone on our Facebook page saying, Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm pretty down today. Life just isn't going very well. I'm really upset. I'm really bummed out. And everybody will be like, we're here. You need us. Here's my instant message me. I give my uh-huh. phone number and we look out for one another. And that's, it's one of the proudest things I am of this show is the community that we have that goes on behind the scenes where people take care of one another if needed, you know, and, there's all of these different aspects of my life that each of these fills a different role. And I'm always looking to find more things to fill different roles. I have, I, I'm a, I'm a gamer, not video games, board games, tabletop games, miniature games, role-playing games. I have tons of this stuff. Well, and that fills another social aspect of my life <laughs> to, to try to turn this into a, a magical perspective. You're a Taurus ruled by Venus. And so Venus uh, the archetypal Venus, you know, goddess of love, both Eros and this, if you start singing Bananarama on me, um, <laughs> your, your your love for people and your social interaction that is totally all Venus stuff. That's the problem. I don't like people like in a weird way. No, I'm serious. I, I created this persona because if I didn't, I would be that guy that just sits in the house and hates people and doesn't like people. So oh, me in, too. Me too. I, I, I kind of part of the things that I did for this show is I created this. I created a person that I kind of wanted to be because I'm actually kind of a bastard if I allow oh, myself me too, to be. Me too. So and you can ask Kelly. <laughs> and it's like that thing from Fight Club. You created me. You have to own up to this responsibility. So, so I do. This, so this expression of will in the creative process that, you know, going back to Crowley, that's the role of the magician. Um, like I find 
before I could watch TV like all day long, play video games all day long before my big initiatory experience with this magic stuff. And after it, I can't, I like, I'm like all of a sudden there's all this meaning in my life and I can't just sit there and, you know, watch TV and play video games and do nothing with my life. Now that I know there's actually something there that's meaningful and that I can have contact with. See, that's where I'm not trying to get it. I, I have, I have no control over any aspect of my life. Really. I'm not trying to gain any kind of control. I don't, I don't do do this to have control over my life. I do a lot of this stuff just to fill time to try to gain to gain something, you know, for more fulfillment. But I'm not looking to try to have any control over my life or try to affect yeah, where I, my life is going to go. I guess I would juxtapose it with my life before magic and my life after. Like before I was uh, stuck in this religious worldview and I was very unhappy, very cynical I'm not saying it was the the fault of the worldview. I was a very unhappy person, very cynical, um, very narcissistic. And I think part of what, you know, Jung, his process of individuation, we can go ahead and call it magic. Uh, Gordon White is saying, comes out and says, well, Jung was a master wizard. And, you know, he was, he was all into alchemy and stuff. But it, it's, it's, Giving back, becoming part of creation, uh, as opposed to some isolated person somewhere who just takes, 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 uh, just as a consumer, uh, this process of individuation and sort of the dying away of that and then being reborn as somebody inspired, divinely inspired in contact with your daemon, if you want to put it in those magical terms, you go from this narcissistic person, the everything happens to me to being a becoming a person where I create things. Not everything is happening to me. So what you're I'm saying is things. in layman's term is you're saying I'm a mage and I don't even realize it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what, that's wow. The, okay, that's sure. The, Cause I don't the, do any ritual or anything. <laughs> I guess me brewing is ritual, but Hey, okay, whatever. Well, I think that's, that's the, something, you know what, before we get too crazy, we were talking before the show started, you were going on about talking about how, you know, women would brew in kettles and things like that. And it was really strange that you'd say that because if I don't cut this off and do this, we're never going to get to this part of the conversation because I've already had you on for over an hour. But, um, there was, uh, another listener, a couple of listeners that, um, well, one of them, I had a real short conversation with this. Another one in a face on a page on Facebook, they were talking about, this one was talking about how she's becoming a brewer and that it seems like it's predominantly a men, oriented field and, and mm -hmm. she's actually opening up a microbrewery and stuff like that and she was like there's not a lot of women in, in this and I was like well actually one of the purported things with witchcraft some of the some of supposedly some of the legends from witchcraft actually came about that um, and this is going to tie I know this is going to tie you in somewhere but um, the purported legends with having to do with witchcraft or that in the olden days, women were the ones that primarily brewed the beer and made Absolutely, the spirits and things yeah. like that. I, so they would yeah. boil all their stuff in a big kettle. And when women started making money off of being the proprietors of bars and these things like that, it came along where men wanted to step into it and say, no, we want to do that. So the whole image of a witch brewing over top of a kettle doing demonized. the witch's brew. Yeah, it was demonized. And the idea of uh, like witches the part of the broomstick supposedly part of the broomstick thing was that they would hang when they were, they would use brooms 
to be the signposts above their doors. They would put brooms inside of the room. They'd hang their sign off of the broomstick. And that also tied in with witches and so forth. But the whole witches brew idea came about from female brewers who were the original ones that made the ales and brewed, you know, boiled yeah. the wheats and extracted so the sugars to make the brew. We're, we're, that was a, a sort of an archaic uh, alchemy. Uh, you had the alchemists, the mages with money, in uh, the Renaissance times with their glass beakers and stuff, doing alchemy and distillations. And then you had the the common folk, the witch, uh, with her uh, cauldron, doing the same processes, working with the same herbs and producing the same magical, essential things, the spirit of things. Uh, that's why we call spirits spirits. Uh, yeah. And yeah, and then here comes uh, the the capitalist, and so they don't have any of that ground up knowledge. From this is how it's grown, this is how it's harvested. It becomes some mass produced soulless thing, and I think it's so wonderful that we are returning to uh, insoling all of our our from brewery to our food, localized food, and uh, on down the line. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, usually I have people on here for an hour. I've managed to keep you on here for a little bit longer than an hour with intense conversation. Uh, hopefully the people that are laymen and, and we're listening to this, so we haven't lost anybody. Um, Zoom Thamata. Yeah. Zoom Thamata. <laughs> sure. Whatever. Um, <laughs> again, you're not, you're not going to, there's a lot of the stuff that I, I just, even though I read it and I see it and I die, there was something you posted a long time ago. You posted a picture of an angel and you said probably Thamalic or some shit like that. And I found it really, really funny because I got the joke. But a lot of this <laughs> stuff, it's just like, I like, okay, Thelema, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's, yeah. You it's, mean, it's a lot of bullshit. Uh, people well, just love coming to- from, like, if somebody, like, listening to the show really wants to get into magic and say, you know what, I want to try this. I'm going to recommend don't know my anything. Books. I'm going to well, say, where do, you, where do you go? Where do you, where does a person go if they want it? Cause I have no recommendations. Cause to me, I look at all of it. It's all gobbledygook. No, and I, honest, I'm like, I'm, I look at it and I'm like, I don't know what these magical symbols are. How do, yeah. how do I cast a spell to see some red haired chick with tattoos naked? What do I, how do I do that? Well, I don't want to do the, you know, I I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for the quick and easy way. And then yeah. a lot, many people say, well, there is no quick and easy way. Right. Well, yeah, there, there is a quick and easy way. How is it? <laughs> well, I, I would respond to that in that uh, get the foundation down, get the fundamentals. And the fundamentals are the sum thamata, the symbol set. That is the language that allows you to communicate with the daemonic. Uh, that's it. So most magical schools, no matter what they are, even chaos magic, You'll learn the uh, planetary symbols and such and so forth. Uh, I think those are essential. That That is the language that uh, in every magical culture and time and place. Well, how hard is it for the average person to, to go and do this? It'll you know, take some time. To- I mean, I'm no expert. You know, I've been doing this stuff since 2012. Uh, you, it's something that grows over time. And... I think a lot of times when you join a magical order uh, or some institution, you're saying you're sort of retrograded, uh, you're suppressed, and them saying, no, no, you can't do that, do this. Well, in the Crowley's AA, you get one year to do whatever you want to, summon demons or whatever. Uh, you're free to experiment. And so that would be my 
advice to somebody beginning in magic, just go and experiment, throw yourself 100% into it and everything will follow. Going back to scripture, seek and ye shall find, uh, it will come with time. Uh, but I think it's the people who you're exactly right in saying that a, a lot of people with, um, nowhere else to turn, turn to magic. That was the, that was my case. And in magic, well, I found that, something I just, very real. I think people want to have, you know, we've, there's, we've reached a time where people just want to have some control. People are looking for some control over their life in some way, shape or form. And yep. sometimes religion doesn't give that. Like well, I've even seen it in skepticism where, yeah. you know, like even with skeptics, skeptics, their, their lack of belief at many times is their belief. And I've oh. said that many times oh. as well. Oh, Bernard Shaw so. would be appalled at the atheism that exists today which solely surrounds around talking heads and repeating what those talking heads say in 100% total belief. And yeah, people want something more than uh, repeating a line of dogma. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that our reality is demonic, that there are demons, there are these intelligences that populate our world and that there is the technology to get in contact with them, to get into contact with your supernatural assistant, your personal familiar spirit, and that that spirit will lead you further into uh, greater things in life. That's you almost my... sound like an infomercial. You would see at three nope. o'clock in the morning nope. and a number should pop up on the bottom of the screen. <laughs> Call I, now you know, <laughs> to receive I, your personal demonic <laughs> consultation. I, I Mages are standing by. <laughs> I was... I was brought up, always told since a child that I would be a preacher and that I would do these things. So I had delusions of grandeur as a child of being an evangelical preacher. And I totally turned my back on that and said, my message is one of anti-dogma. I am a preacher, but it's not of the logos. It's not of uh, logos is defined as a uh, logical premise. I'm saying forget the logical premise, forget the logos and go experience. Uh, that's my sermon. And yeah, I do kind of sound like uh, maybe I, maybe the prophecy was fulfilled and I did become a preacher. And I'm sure there are a lot of listeners that will believe that I'm a uh, preacher of the devil. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, we, you, we've, we've been accused of that many, many times. So <laughs> we, I've, I've been personally called a little Luciferian many times myself. And I'm like, okay. Cause like, I don't tell anybody to go out and do anything. You know, if anything, the only thing that I'm trying to do on this show is impart some kind of knowledge in some way, shape or form. And sometimes many times as much as possible, even tonight, have a good laugh at a lot of this stuff. But tonight it happened to be a lot at your expense, but you're cool with it. So anyways, um, <laughs> well, I, I, well, you know better, you know, I mean, I, I could crack jokes at you and you understand you're not going to be offended. No, by no, it, so, no. You know, but um, all right, we should probably wrap this up. So um, I'm going to let you go, but hang out after have to hang out after we're recording here, of course. Cool. Um, David, thanks for coming on here and talking, you know, and, and trying to um, trying to put some of this into some form that if people maybe got something out of this or maybe they got something historical out of this or maybe if they're interested into getting into something like this maybe giving some people some kind of direction or a place to go or what have you um yeah. i still don't see myself as a mage however if i am i hope to be painted on the side of some van someday holding a staff with a hot chick gazing longingly up at me like you see on the side <laughs> of the 70s vans um 
Yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Thanks for being here. Where can people find you, find your book, find out about what you do? Uh, how do people find your podcast if they're interested? Yeah, it's charmthewater.com. Uh, you can find the store there, which uh, both Solomon's Lotto book and uh, Black Cat Gambling Familiar is at. And again, I would warn you, don't think this is this is a full spirit conjuration. So if you're prepared for the consequences of that, I actually put in the book, if you conjure up something that you are not prepared to handle, I offer my email, which is charmthewater at gmail.com. And uh, anything that you can conjure up can be banished. So uh, hmm. we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Charm the Water. Where did the name from your show come from? Is there a meaning behind that? There has been an unfolding meaning. Uh, back in the days when I was listening to you and Soraya and the Alex cast and all these guys and becoming. Oh, dear God, I had an influence on you. I apologize. Oh, for absolutely. That. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I was listening to all you guys, I was becoming inspired and uh Wanting to turn from somebody who did nothing and was only a consumer to I knew I had this creative spark in me and that I wanted to do. I just didn't know what to do. And it was through you guys that I was like, hey, I'll start a part podcast. And I was listening to Gordon White one day and he used the term charm the water in casual conversation. And I asked him about it. He doesn't even remember it. But uh, that's where the name came from. And it turned out to have more significance for me than I initially knew uh, because there's a very uh, special significance with a well in my past from my childhood. And that's the image of Charm the Water is a well. Oh, do you want to tell the story? Oh, well, just really quickly. It's uh, I had a lot of sort of weird experiences in my grandmother's old apartment, uh, which led to next to a well that my uncle had filled in and covered over. And uh, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I experienced uh, in this vision my first water elemental and the spirit. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to make of it until, oh, a decade or two later, and I got involved in magic and learned, uh, wow, that sure looks like a uh, water elemental. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it, it's kind of come full circle, and uh, I'm glad I named it Charm the Water. Hmm. Well, that's cool, because I've always kind of wondered about that. I remember for a while you were going to try to go and do another podcast, a comedy-oriented one, and mm -hmm. I remember saying, you know what? I wish you a lot of luck, but doing two shows is very, very hard to do, especially something that's in a completely different direction. Are you yeah. still doing that show, or have you just moved away from it? No, I never have even launched it. I got our mutual friend Red Pill Junkie to do the artwork, and it's amazing artwork. But uh, as... And with my job now, uh, I'm looking to, I'm using this magic. I'm not just writing books. I'm I was going to say, it. you're using it for stock. Per, you're you're a stock a stock guy. You buy stocks mm -hmm. and trade and all that stuff. You're, are you using magic to, to, to affect Ab you in that? Absolutely. And I have plans to write uh, process. When I become successful using magic uh, with the stock market, I have plans to uh, publish exactly how I did it. I Is became, that not directly chaos magic, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I kind of go with the classical hermetic, uh, defining it. In the, I like the, I'm a Capricorn, so I like traditional stuff. I have no problem with chaos magicians, uh, but m my system is going to be flavored with uh, the classical grimoires and the traditional spirits of the planets and the, the seven uh, planets of uh, antiquity. But 
when Capricorn came into Saturn, uh, oh boy, <laughs> in late, I, and Go when ahead. Saturn came into Capricorn in late 2017, I had no 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 clue what the stock market even was. I had no idea about money. I was I, I was in debt. I I had no idea how to manage money. And when uh, my ruling planet came into Capricorn, my sun sign, and also I have two other planets in Capricorn. It was like a fire got lit under my ass for the stock market. And I became obsessed with the type of trading. There are many types of trading. There's long-term trading. There's uh, swing trading, which is uh, more short-term trading. And then there's day trading, which is like the sniping of trading. And I became obsessed with that. And through my Mercury initiation, I uh, sort of began working with geomancy, which is a type of divination, to... uh, help with stock picks in the morning of stocks uh, jumping up in price to try to day trade. And uh, going back to why this is a mercurial spirit, the black magic gambling familiar is because mercury rules all of that stuff. Um, And uh, yeah. So, okay, hold on. (laughs) How the hell do you cast a spell that says, Buy five shares of IBM. Does each oh. stock have a certain symbol or? Yeah, uh, this isn't uh, just blind idiocy. Uh, day trading is one of the most. The stock market is a hard game. It's a game. Um, there are professional traders. There are businesses filled with individuals. Yeah, trade gotcha. Day trading for a, a house. Uh, it, it's not easy. Uh, You need to have some insight. You need to know a lot of, you have to keep your finger on the markets, uh, the news, what companies doing what. For example, uh, marijuana companies, their stocks have jumped up in the last few months because marijuana has become so prominent in news. You have to keep your finger on all of that. And in day trading, you're largely working with penny stocks, which pretty much everybody knows is no real long-term value. Uh, A rare gem can emerge, but... What you have to do is use a stock scanner to scan stocks that are gapping up. And uh, you can, there are levels of complexity of stock screeners that you have to pay money for. What My God, I was, this is magic in itself. <laughs> <laughs> what I was doing was uh, building a list of about five stocks, and they go by tickers like RKDA, YTEN, VVV, SEII, etc. I was building a list of about five stock tickers that were gapping up in pre-market. And then I would use geomancy divination to uh, choose which one that I would, uh, they all looked good, but it's still, no matter who you are and how advanced you are in the stock market, it's still a gamble. All of life is uh, sort of mitigation of risk. Uh, All of life, no matter, so some people won't get involved with the stock market because they say it's gambling. I say, hey man, if you have kids, you're gambling. All of life is risk management. Yeah, I've, I've had moments of interest with it, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, began using geomancy, and uh, I'm doing all right. I uh, Most people beginning with stock market get their accounts blown up, which means you get wiped out, and I have yet to be wiped out. I'm learning. It can't all be magic. Magic won't make you rich overnight. You have to do your part. You have to be, be smart about it. You have to learn some... Uh, some chart patterns and stuff like that. But yeah, it's an emerging system for me, applying magic to uh, the, well, hell, art and discipline of day trading. Hmm. 
Okay. Well, um, I guess I'll let you go now. Thank you again <laughs> one more time for, for coming on here and doing this. And uh, next time around, you need to have me on your show so I can derail that one. <laughs> Absolutely, man. We'll have you on soon. Kelly will Thanks. love talking with you again. She loves you. Oh, she's a sweetheart. I Kelly love you too, is, but I think she's Kelly's a sweetheart. I think she may have a crush on you or something. <laughs> oh, really? Sweet. That's cool. <laughs> well, tell her I said hi. I do appreciate it. She's a sweetheart of a girl. And, uh, you know, yeah, she's whatever sweet. blessings that are out there, what's the term blessed be? Is that, is that the yeah. pagan term or something like that? So that blessed be unto you guys, you know. Well, thanks, thanks a lot. Bro. It was good talking to you. Take care. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. And that, as we like to say, was Mr. Aaron David of Charm the Water. Aaron's podcast can be found at www.charmthewater.com forward slash podcast. If you are into magic, interested in magic, or are gravitated towards that kind of thing, Aaron has a very, very magic-centric show. As we recorded that interview, this is the next day, I recorded that one last night, I began to realize that by the end of that interview, I was getting really, really tired and I was starting to just lose it. And I realized that I was starting to just call him David at some point and I wasn't even calling him Aaron anymore. I was just addressing him by his last name. I don't know if he realized it or not, but when I was going through and mixing the show down and editing it, I realized what I did. So I think I edited most of that out so as not to sound like a total idiot. But anyways, on next week's show, I will again be flying without Lobo, but I do have a guest co-host. I will say this much about it, though I shouldn't because of the curse of the show. If all goes well, fingers crossed, I will have Joshua Cutchen co-hosting the show with me as we interview another guest. But hopefully I didn't derail it and sink it into the ground at that point, as I've so often done. But that's pretty much it. I will cease my meandering and babbling for now. This is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. From the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice, the same spinning. You have no choice. 